bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about a fun topic for a change. I know I've been talking about terrorism for weeks. Um, today we're going to be talking about ter- terrorizing bosses uh, and the devil wears Prada. It's a new movie out. If you haven't seen it yet, I would definitely recommend it. Um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, it, this is a topic, though, that isn't necessarily a lot of fun in real life when you actually have one of these kinds of bosses. Um, my guest today is uh, going to be helping me talk about this topic. Uh, the devil wears Prada, but my guest wears many hats. And her name is Ginny Graham Scott. She has a Ph.D., a J.D. She's a writer, a sociologist, a speaker, a workshop leader, and a consultant. She's an author of over 40 books. And she's been a featured guest on such shows as Oprah, Good Morning America, The O'Reilly Factor, CNN, etc. Um, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be here. Ginny uh, Graham Scott, um, you know, I imagine you pro- may have had the same reaction to the movie as I did. When I went, I, I expected to, to identify with the poor Wobegon Assistant, I guess I should give a little synopsis of the movie first, but um, I wound up identifying with the Meryl Streep character, this incredibly perfectionistic, demanding boss whose number one priority in life is getting ahead in her career. Let me just uh, back up a little bit and give my listeners a little bit of a synopsis. Um, The story is about, and I'm not going to ruin it for you, the story is about um, a woman who just is is fresh out of college, and she comes to New York, and she really wants to get a job as a journalist in a serious magazine or newspaper. But she's sent out resumes, as have many other people in her graduating class, and this was the only interview she got, an interview at uh, a fashion magazine, Runway. And... um, she is totally wrong for the job. She comes in. All the other people who work there are incredibly fashionable, and she comes in wearing clothes that look like you know they came from at least a decade ago or probably more. And um, and she's not as thin as the other girls, and she's just you know she doesn't she doesn't really put fashion um, give it that much importance. She's a very pretty girl, however, which you know gets prettier as she becomes more fashionable during the movie. But um, she gets a job for uh, the editor. Uh, the editor is played by Meryl Streep. Her name is Miranda Priestley, and uh, the girl, whose name is Andy, um, sort of inadvertently gets the job. I think Miranda is impressed by her honesty. Andy comes in and actually, uh, when she sees she doesn't quite fit the mold, 
she admits to Miranda that the only reason why she's there is because uh, nobody else gave her an interview. And she's obviously intelligent in the way that she tells the story, and so Miranda is impressed with her, sees her as different. She's had other uh, assistants before who were fired or quit or just didn't work out, and uh, these were the more typical women who were more into fashion and into being so impressed because this is apparently the, the killer job that everybody dies for, um, everybody that is who isn't m- more serious about journalism. And so, so it starts. So she gets this job and, and, uh, and gradually um, comes to figure out how to do everything, including sort of the ultimate task. And, and every minute her job is on the line and the ultimate task uh, one of the ultimate tasks that she accomplishes is um, getting a manuscript of Harry Potter before it's even published in a book. Uh, Meryl Streep asked her to get a, a Harry Potter book for her twins, and uh, Andy thinks that she means one that she can buy in Barnes & Noble, and then it turns out, no, she means one that's still in manuscript form that nobody else is able to see, and she manages to pull that off. Now, with that background, Ginny, okay. <laughs> what did you think of the of the movie? Okay, well, let me just kind of put in context what I'm saying is because one of the reasons I'm talking about this is I wrote a book about bad bosses. Yes. <laughs> a, a survival guide for working with bad bosses. And so Miranda Priestley would be one of the people at one of the extremes. She's not the only kind of bad boss, but she's the kind of boss you would describe as maybe power-hungry and uh, controlling and demanding and not caring about her employees. Um, to, to back up in terms of the, the, this woman being in this job, uh, I, I would I would think that Which woman? you know in reality, uh, no, Andy, Andy, for the Andy, no, no, okay. Andy Sachs being, okay, being yes. in the job. I mean, I would think that in reality, I, uh, of course, in the movie, you know, things are changed uh, and you, you kind of have this leap of faith. But I think in reality, she probably would not have gotten the job, you know, even giving that kind of a speech. I mean, I think for the average employer, hearing her say, well, the only reason I'm here is because I couldn't find another job, I mean, would be, you know, thank you, goodbye. Well, yes, but she did, I mean, I'm sort of distilling it down. I mean, she did say some other things that, well, I guess one of the most important things that she said was that, you know, if you give me this chance, um, I will really work very hard, and you won't be sorry. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, give I know. It all her effort. I, I mean, I, I just think that you know, I mean, we have to kind of take a leap of faith that she she got the job, that she she actually got hired. But I mean, I think in reality there would be other reasons why she it might not have been the best job for her because she really wants to be in something else, and there might have been other things she could have done to actually get into the the other places but but you know putting that aside yeah. you know we have Meryl Streep who i think does, does a really bang up job of presenting this person who is um, not caring you know she she is like the queen bee everybody kind of runs around doing things because they want to please her yes uh, it's a little bit different in the book uh, because she doesn't, uh, there's this moment towards the end where she kind of has this weakness and she's going through a divorce, and that actually doesn't happen in the book. Well, I mean, we do see a little bit of that. We see her, oh, that doesn't happen in the book. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and there, was, there were changes from the book that, uh, you know, they, in a sense, humanize her and, you know, give her this sort of, you know, underlying uh, vulnerability, see. which yes. doesn't have in the book. I see, I see. Huh. 
That's interesting. I thought that was very important, that um, that vulnerability. So in the book, she's just all queen bee and all demanding and just very seems like very narcissistic and Yeah, selfish. exactly. And there's also the, the, the end when um, uh, Andy decides to leave is also a, d- a difference because in the in the book, what, what triggers her leaving is she gets one more impossible assignment that's really, you know, impossible to do, and Miranda is expecting her to do this. It's it's like she's she's forgotten to get passports for the kids, and so she's supposed to within a few hours get some passports to enable the kids to get out of there. And Miranda blames her having, and she never said anything to her about getting these passports. So she's blaming her for the for the kids not getting their passports, mm-hmm. not being responsible, and so on. And she just decides this is sort of like one more thing, and she just leaves. Huh. That's interesting. Well, which did you like better, the book or the movie? From what you're saying, I, I think I would like the movie better. Well, I mean, I, in, in some ways I did like the, the movie better because in the book there's just so many incidents and I found it after a while it becomes sort of tedious. You, you feel like it's one more little thing that she's got to do and you get more of a sense that there could be more alternatives for her to do things differently, whereas it makes it clearer in the book that she's really, uh, in the movie, that she's just a gopher. Whereas, um, and I mean, there's, there's just a lot, a lot of changes. Also, in the book, uh, she has this roommate that she's um, uh, this roommate is having drug problems and all sorts of problems. So there's a whole uh, sort of soap opera kind of scenario around the roommate. And one of the things that also sets up this last um, scene about her deciding to leave or not leave is uh, she goes to Paris knowing that her friend has been in this accident and, and is just barely recovering, and uh, they, her family asks her to be there in the hospital, and she finally says, you know, I have to go to Paris. And so then she's kind of re- having recriminations about that, and so in effect she's, by returning, she's sort of returning to this friend as well. So there's a whole lot of, uh, of additional layers of complexity in the book that's not in the movie, and I think that people are a little bit more exaggerated, you know, as as movies do. Well, of course, there is that. I mean, in the movie, there was the um, the coworker who who gets into an accident. Is that sort of how they? Do they do that instead, or do two people get into accidents in the book? Uh, no, the coworker. You're talking about Emily who gets into yes, an accident. Right. No, I mean I don't recall Emily getting into an accident uh-huh. in the book. Uh, it's the um, uh, the roommate that has the accident. I see. So they just change. Yeah. The so there's a whole bunch of things that are are different. But now, do you know the history of the book? I mean, I would imagine that I seem to remember reading or that there was some that. Uh, Parts of it, at least, that were autobiographical. Yeah, well, she, well, she worked at Vogue magazine. She worked for Anna Winneter, and it's hard to know exactly to what extent it's true or not. Anna, Anna has not sued her, so you know, it, it could be a lot of a lot of, of fantasy. You know, maybe it's not quite quite exactly uh, you know what she experienced, but she, but she, yeah, she did work at Vogue for a while. Uh, Lauren Weisberger is the author. Yeah, but but you know, if you want to talk about how this applies to the people in everyday life, we could, yes, we could talk about sure. that. Sure, we can do that. We're probably going to be coming up on a break soon. I did, of course, want to mention that you've written a number of books about the workplace: um, the a survival guide to working with bad bosses, a survival guide to working with humans. I guess that's 
and um, and then you did another one about a newer one about working with bad employees. Right? That's going to be coming out in November, and they're mm-hmm. calling it a survival guide to managing employees from hell. <laughs> so it kind of covers the whole ground of everybody who's behaving badly in the workplace. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we take a break now, and then we can get back and talk about how. Uh, real life, R-E-E-L, applies to the real workplace, and uh, both in terms of bosses and employees. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking about the Devil Wears Prada and real life situations that mirror that. My guest, Ginny Graham Scott, a, a, who wears many hats that I've described to you. <laughs> so stay tuned, and we'll tell you about how the Devil Wears Prada applies to you. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on voiceamerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on voiceamerica.com. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m., and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces Comedy Beer Sex Appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably got you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff belt with Ralph's no-holds-barred approach with L.A. Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel, beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on voiceamerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength, and the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Ginny Graham Scott. She's uh, most she's, she wears many hats, just like the Devil Wears Prada. But uh, the hat that we're talk- using today, <laughs> the hat that she has on today, is um, that of an author of books about the workplace. And we'll be talking about that. Um, we've been talking about how uh, 
this movie applies to real life. Life, if you <laughs> yeah, realize, if you uh, if you have questions about your workplace, if you have a devilish boss or or a devilish employee, do call in. Uh, the number again is eight six six four seven two fifty seven eighty eight. So, Ginny, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, well, I guess you could, I don't know where to, there's so much still to talk about in regard to the movie, but wherever you would like to start in regard to uh, bosses. I mean, I was, I was talking during the break about uh, the issue of, according to Freud, the two things that you need to have in balance in your life is your ability and your success at work and your success at love. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to keep a proper balance, especially these days when, even though we have all these time-saving devices, supposedly, um, work easily takes up more and more of people's time. And um, I thought that was kind of a fascinating part of the movie and, and that everybody can relate to. That I, And I think it's worse or harder with women bosses because um, women usually have to have sacrificed so much more in order to get into that position of power. It takes so much more to get into that position of power that oftentimes personal things, personal life, um, get sacrificed uh, on the way up. And um, and I thought it was, there was an interesting parallel between Meryl Streep playing the boss and having gone through at least uh, two divorces, I mean, going through the second one, and um, an interesting comment that her husband, who then divorces her, makes before he divorces her, something about uh, not liking sitting in a restaurant waiting for her and being Mrs. Uh, Miranda Priestley, you know, Mrs. Meryl Streep mm-hmm. or Mr. Meryl Streep, and, um, you know, waiting waiting there looking like a wimp waiting for his wife. And, uh, and, and then, on the other hand, um, Andy, the assistant, has this really annoying boyfriend who gets progressively annoying as the movie goes on. Because he's annoying because um, because he feels threatened by her moving up through the ranks as she gets to be more fashionable and, and more and more self possessed and um, confident in her job and what she's able to do. He feels threatened and um, essentially leaves her too, just yeah. like. Oh, well, no, I was just going to say about the boyfriend. I mean, I think, the, you know, with Hollywood casting, I mean, he's, he's, he's really portrayed as something of a loser um, where he's, you know, just ha- kind of really can't compete with her. He looks kind of uh, frowsy. And uh, so, I mean, I think that they played up the, this, this boyfriend as um, kind of this wimp. Uh, who's kind of there in the background? Um, so, but but I think to go back to your your initial point about the um, what a woman has to do to sacrifice, and I and I think that that's true, and I think that people have to decide, you know, to what extent they want to make those kinds of sacrifices. What's really important to them, and uh, you know, maybe at some point you might decide, uh, you know, I mean, assuming that this wasn't this annoying boyfriend, but you really did have this. A really warm, close relationship with them. You know, at some point, you might have felt that this job is just interfering too much, and uh, you know, I just have to put some limits. And if I have to be fired, well, then so be it. Well, you know, I mean, I guess uh, if anybody doesn't want to hear the end, don't listen to this part. But I guess that's why it's so sort of at the end when she does choose 
to leave her job, not just for the boyfriend, but, I mean, she realizes that she has sacrificed too much. The boyfriend, her family, who she isn't spending time with, her friends, um, how she be- sort of betrayed her coworker, although she didn't want to, in order to be able to go to Paris, and st- which was what the coworker had been wanting to do, but the yeah. coworker got sick. But I don't know that that was so much, I mean, they play it up as a betrayal, but in fact, the coworker really probably wasn't in a position to go to Paris because she's in the hospital. So it's sort of like, you know, nobody goes versus Andy Well, that's going. true. Yes, you know, that's true. That's a point because um, I think they must have added that in um, because, you know, at first it was just because she was sick that she wasn't going to be able to go to Paris because really, um, you know, Andy was going to tell her that on the phone right before she had the accident. Yeah. So I think they added the accident in so you would sort of not, You'd be more sympathetic towards Andy actually, you know, going to Paris instead of her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, 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 uh, I, but, I, but the thing is, with this boyfriend, um, you just kind of feel after all the progress that, that Andy makes, um, you know, as I was saying, in, in her life, she just, that for her to sort of feel guilty about the people who she's been leaving behind and, and people who are not allowing her to be uh, herself, to blossom into herself, whatever that might be, um, I don't know. She makes that choice, and it's a contrast with the boss who persists in uh, going ever upwards and in continuing to and doing a betrayal that she has to do in yeah. order to keep her position. Well, I mean, I think the movie tries to, to make it seem like, you know, she's really coming coming back to herself and she really um, uh, is, is sacrificing who her ideals and her soul and everything else right. to be sucked up into the fashion industry. Right. And um, But I think these are choices that people make. I mean, people, some people may really like the glamour. They may like the stylishness. And, and, you know, for them it would be the right choice to do whatever is necessary to do to learn. And you could see le- working with a, a boss like Miranda as a learning experience. You know, there's this expression of if something um, doesn't kill me, I mean, I grow from it. Right. And so I, I think that for somebody who sees that as a career path, you know, it might be a, a learning experience because, um, you know, even though she may be doing a lot of gopher stuff, she's also making good connections. Mm-hmm. But in Andy's case, I mean, it's really not a career path that she wants, although for a while she gets sucked into it. You know, she gets the perks, she gets the clothes, and, and all these kinds of things. And... Um, but but those are choices that people make, and the people, as they grow, you know, you may grow out of friends who have different right. interests. And so, you know, I don't think that um, it's, I think it's a false analogy to suggest that, uh, you know, you either have to kind of stay with the people you, you, you have really had a close relationship with or choose between a job because... You know, sometimes people will appreciate your growth, and and you know, they can come along with you. Well, yeah. Sometimes, yes. and sometimes they can't. And in this case, uh, they don't really understand what she's doing. They see her as, as selling out, and in a sense, she really has those values too. So, so for her, it's, it wasn't particularly a good choice in the first place. Yes, I mean, but I guess that was the point that I was trying to make, that sometimes it's a fine distinction that we all have to make at various points in our life, um, whether it's a job or a move or something, where um, people in our life, the people in, lo- in our life who can't appreciate um, where we want to grow into mm-hmm. or what we've become or if they become too jealous or... 
um, you know, feel like they're being left behind or whatever, that it isn't necessarily always a bad thing to leave these people behind if they can't appreciate who you really are becoming if that's who you want to become. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that that's a good point that, uh, you know, we have to, to recognize. Um, and I think in um, Miranda's case, I mean, even though she might be suffering a little bit from her divorce, I mean, this this is a place that she's flourished. People uh, have brilliance, and and there are certain parallels with people in certain fields where you have uh, these very demanding bosses, these very creative types that may have a lot of power, and they have a lot of very powerless kind of assistants around them who want to get into that career path. And so there are certain ways of dealing with those kind of bosses that would be different than if you have a boss that's a bad communicator, a boss that's clueless, a boss that's disorganized, you know, and so on. So that's one of the things that I try to do in the book is to suggest that there are all these different kinds of bosses and there are different strategies and you have this repertoire of dealing with them. How many different types of bosses do you identify? Oh, I would say a, a, a few dozen. Wow. Uh, but there's, you know, there, there's sort of overlaps, and they're like, there's in the uh, survival guide for working with bad bosses, there are these uh, 36 different stories, and so depending on how you want to define it, each one is kind of like a, a slightly different type of boss. But I would suggest that there's a basically a continuum uh, in terms of the very strong, demanding kind of bosses on the one hand to the bosses that are overly weak and powerless and disorganized and clueless on the other. And either kind, depending upon employees, could be bad bosses to work for. But some employees might thrive under certain situations. I mean, some people really like direction and they like a strong boss who's telling them what to do. Others like the freedom and independence, and so they wouldn't work well with that kind of boss. But on the other hand, somebody who wants direction would be unhappy with this disorganized boss, whereas someone who's independent might really like that opportunity to have freedom. Mm-hmm. And do you, are these uh, this, these stories, are, are they true stories? Oh, or? yes. Oh, yes. And so do you sort of, um, true stories of people who had bad bosses, and then you sort of critique what they could have done Better? So, something like that. I mean, they're basically, I did interviews with people. In a few cases, I drew on some experience that I had with, with bad bosses. And I, 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 in, in all cases, I um, changed the identities and identifying features. <laughs> so that no one so, yeah, so nobody you. can sue me and nobody can recognize me. <laughs> in some, case, some cases, just so we would have balances. We have we have an equal about an equal number of males and females. So uh-huh. so you know we we change and I and I change it specifically so that in some cases the sex of the of the boss was not the same as the person who told me the story. Mm-hmm. You know to you know further conceal identity, yes. and particularly in in certain fields like somebody who was in the movie industry. Yeah, and uh, she had a kind of a Miranda Priestly kind of boss who was ordering people around and. And uh, people were on call, and they were you know, uh, uh, tethered to their to the cell phone, and they had to respond right away. And and the boss would make all kinds of um, demands, and then they would do take after take after take. And there was one incident she described where um, they actually stood up to the boss. It was it was fairly rare, but this was a case where they had some kids on set, and there are all kinds of regulations that affect uh, how long kids can work and under what conditions and so on. And then they have they also have a uh, kind of a welfare worker, uh, a service mm-hmm. worker who's supervising it to make sure. So this was a case where it was starting to get dark and he wanted to get take a certain shot 
and it, it seems like it could be dangerous. It was like near a cliff, and there's a whole bunch of things happening. So they said, you know, this is really too late, and, and it's, it's you know too dangerous. And you know, so they after arguing enough, in that case, he did back down. And I think because it was not just her saying that he should do it, but it was the service worker. And then also, if anything happened to the kids, he's they've got the law on his side, and and so on. So you know, he didn't get that particular shot, but. Well, it's, well, okay, <laughs> that sounds interesting. We do need to take a break <laughs> right in the middle of your interesting story. <laughs> and uh, when we come back, maybe you could tell um, people who are looking for a job or, or are in a job what kinds of bosses they, uh, or supervisors even, you know, underbosses, um, they might, how they could tell what kinds of bosses they would work best with. Okay. So when we come back, we'll talk more with my guest, Ginny Graham-Scott. We're talking today about the Devil Wears Prada and uh, whether there's a devil as a boss or an employee in your work environment. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with president of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The woman MVP who sets you free with host, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, corporate executive, philanthropist, wife, and mother, Luann Mitchell-Halter, is an exciting and provocative look at the real world with real exciting guests and real stories of triumph and professionalism with a dash of spice sharing recipes for a better world on all the playing fields of life. Join Luann Mitchell-Halter as she and her guests uncover and expose us to our abilities to create our very own Big League MVP, My Victory Plan, Potential for Greatness. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcast each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free. It's time to get off the bleachers, play the game of life, and be the MVP. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're having a devilish time today talking about The Devil Wears Prada with my guest, Ginny Graham-Scott. And we're talking about, uh, she's the author of 40, over 40 books, but uh, some of the ones that relate to this movie in the workplace include A Survival Guide to Working with Bad bo- Bosses, A Survival Guide to Working with Humans, and A Survival Guide Managing Employees from Hell. Um, that's not out, that's going to be out in uh, November. Um, why don't, why don't you give us some practical tips on, um, you know, I wonder in the case of, of bad bosses and how, how you can know, even from a job interview, really, whether you might work well with this person. Well, I use some things to, to look at the chemistry that you have when you're talking to the boss. And you, the boss may give you some clues or they may actually state. Like I remember going to one interview where the person was telling me, well, I'm a control freak. Hmm. Okay, you know, so uh, this, was, this was not a, so much a boss but a client that, that hired me and as, it was actually a psychologist. And as I, I worked with her, I, I, there were all kinds of problems that I noticed. Is you know, She would be not concerned about history and I would tell, tell her things that, were important, and she would say, "Oh, that's not important." And they were like inaccurate history. And then, and then I discovered that uh, she was in the process of fighting to keep her license because she had mm-hmm. uh, abused some patients. So there were a whole bunch of kind of little little warning signals that you know maybe I might have picked up in advance and said, "No, I don't really want to work for this client." Uh, but you you might notice uh, how the interview is going. You know how much how controlling the person is in the interview. The extent to which they turn it over to you, um, you know, what they say about what they, their expectations are. So, if somebody says, "I like somebody to work with initiative and uh, you know, kind of make decisions," you know, that's somebody who's going to try to empower you. I mean, that's in fact what I say when I try to uh, I, I hire employees is uh, because I because I want somebody who can just kind of go off on their own with a minimal amount of direction. But other people want somebody that they're going to closely supervise. So you may, you might, uh, they may tell you or during an interview to ask certain questions about uh, what's a typical day like or uh, what are my roles and responsibilities or, um, uh, you know, would you like me to give you suggestions in terms of organizing the work? I mean, you know, whatever, whatever seems to be appropriate in that job interview to get a sense of the type of boss this is going to be. You might also... If you know people who previously worked there, or if you're referred by somebody who's currently working there, uh, you, if you have somebody you can trust who you could you could ask that kind of questions to, um, sometimes you might not just know until you just actually get on the job, and then maybe the first week or two, just consider it like a little bit of a trial. You know, it, it's um, it's hard because sometimes you know bosses want all these different qualities. And then if someone, then there's also the fear sometimes um, if someone is too good at their job, like their assistant is too good, then sometimes there's the fear that um, that they're going to sort of take over, that they're going to, maybe they can't like literally take over in, in a particular kind of work setting, but um, where they're going to sort of steal all the information and, and run, go on their own, you know, run away with it. Well, I think those are things that you can maybe pick up 
through body language, through, through getting a sense. Like if you offer to do things and you find that the boss is not accepting or the boss discourages you when you take initiative and do something, you know, then maybe those aren't things to do. But in other cases, bosses may really appreciate that, particularly if you've got a boss who is a bad communicator. And so the instructions might be confusing. And sometimes employees will just simply go and do whatever they think is best, and things get mixed up. So sometimes by proactively writing up a memo or having a kind of a recap after you've gotten the instructions of feeding back to the employer, this is my understanding of what you want me to do. And and then you can find out if it's correct or not, and some bosses will, will actually appreciate that, and they, they see that as taking initiative and going the extra mile. Uh, also, if you have a clueless boss, uh, somebody who doesn't really um, you know, understand what's going on, and sometimes that happens when um, uh, somebody's been promoted um, into another department and they're suddenly a manager and they really were much better at just doing technical work. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you end up with people who you know, really don't have the, the management skills, but they're suddenly in a management position. And you might find that in somebody's been a really brilliant scientist or somebody's been a really good counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then they get promoted to run the organization. And they, they, they just don't have the management skills. So people, things don't get delegated properly or they don't give proper communications. And it's not that they're this power-hungry uh, boss. I mean, people, some people could grow into that, but 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 it, it more, more, it's more like somebody feeling their way, and they can really appreciate an employee who uh, kind of steps in and uh, gives them advice or tells them about how things are going. You know, um, I think also people need, as they're sort of choosing their career path, people need to decide whether they want to have a boss at all. Um, there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, don't really want to deal with an authority figure over them and would be much happier um, doing something where they're their own boss or where, you mm-hmm. know, as an, entre- an entrepreneur or um, even maybe a salesperson who would have a boss, but if most of the time is spent out on the road, you don't really have to deal with your boss as much as in an office setting. Yeah, ex- exactly. You, may, you make these choices. And, you know, you sometimes when you're first out of college or uh, graduate school, uh, you may need to spend a few years tr- getting experiences so that then you can build on those and, and sort of knowing, like, like say, you work in an, an industry and then you go into a related field. Well, the fact that you've had some experience in that field gives you an ability to uh, provide services that you otherwise couldn't do. So it could be a career path um, into entrepreneurship, but you might spend some time as an employee first. And um, what do you? What about uh, the other way around? You were saying um, the guide to managing employees from hell. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that um, as an employer trying to employ some pe- people is to make it really clear what your specifications are, and to you know maybe in the beginning spend a little bit more time supervising somebody than you might afterwards to make sure that. They know what they're doing, uh, but but there might be some employees that um, you know just don't get it um, after you've done some training, and you know after a while you may decide that it's just not working out. So you have to kind of know when when it's time to just let go. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, do you categorize the employees from hell also? Yeah, I mean, they range from somebody who's just incompetent to the employee who is just overly aggressive to the one who is, um, uh, you know, basically uh, the backstabber. So there's a whole variety of different kinds of employees. And uh, so, again, the strategies would, would, would differ depending on the circumstances. I mean, sometimes if... Um, uh, it may be appropriate to talk to the person one-on-one. It may be appropriate to give them a second chance. Uh, but if they do certain kinds of, of you know, outrageous activities, uh, you know, maybe you don't. I mean, if, if you've discovered somebody stealing from you, uh, this has come up with um, uh, maybe they've done a good job before, but now um, they've, they've taken something. So, you know, maybe to clarify what it will what what's led this? I mean, maybe the, maybe there might be some mitigating circumstances where um, uh, they're in a very very serious uh, predicament with with uh, per, for personal problems. But it would depend on how much they've taken. You know, if it's just um, a small amount, you know, maybe give them a second chance. But if it's a large amount, you know, when you're getting into embezzling and things that become a crime, you know, that would be I would normally think that would be grounds for termination and. But but it, once you decide to do it, is to, to maybe diplomatically as possible ease the person out. You, know, you read about this road rage or not road rage, but but employees who come back and and shoot up Going the office or or they they, uh, they they to get revenge they go right. stealing the, the the formula or the uh, the software or something like that right. to, to take to somebody else. And uh, so you need, so you want to try to avoid as much as possible creating the grounds for somebody to go off and do that. You might, you might want to diplomatically have a conversation with them where, uh, you, or you, you just talk to them about, you know, how this doesn't seem like it's a good fit for you and then just try to be understanding about it. I had an employee who was, uh, I had hired through an internship program and she was supposed to learn something involving using, using the computer and I had found that it normally takes about two to six hours. Well, after about 12 hours, uh, when she was making basic mistakes like opening up the wrong file, I mean, I just thought, thought well, this is just not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just basically, you know, I told her, I said, look, you know, it just seems like uh, um, that this isn't quite the right field for you. And she was also somebody who wanted to become a singer, and so I had mm-hmm. asked her to set up some, some uh, for promotional purposes, some, some pages on MySpace. So what was really marketable was a connection service I have that connects writers to publishers and agents, uh, writers, publishers and agents.net. And so, um, uh, and I had at one time had a songwriting connection service that I put up. Well, she wants to be a singer, so what she was putting up is all these pages about songs, and uh, it just nobody was responding. And mm. so, you know, it's, it's just like there was just not this really good fit, and I had really tried to bend over backwards to trainer because she said what well, she didn't want to work at Starbucks but um, okay. ultimately she just couldn't learn the basic um, the skill that I needed yeah yeah it, it you know I actually I, I'm sure you too especially have been hearing stories from both sides of people there seems to be an increasing problem in people finding good fits and people <laughs> that's that true and people being motivated to work and and, and employees employers saying that it's hard to keep good people. I mean, it, it just seems both sides are having problems. Well, we're having a problem right now. We need to take a break, <laughs> but we'll be back. 
You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm talking today with my guest, Ginny Graham Scott. We're talking about bad bosses and the, pro- and the devil wears Prada. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The authority in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, echopreneur, author, and green living maven, brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products, get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, broadcast each Thursday at Noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Living the Green Life for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington. Each week, Connie and her guests will explain the healing system called Christian Science and share stories of how they have used the spiritual laws of God to bring healing to their lives. You can learn how to bring healing to your life, too. So tune in to Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America, America's Voice. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and Free Your Mind. Open your heart and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today with my guest uh, about the Devil Wears Prada. My guest is Jenny Graham Scott, the author of several books about the workplace and bad bosses. And um, I wanted to go back to the movie, The Devil Wears Prada, uh, which, again, I would like to encourage people to, to go see. It was just a lot of fun. And uh, I was saying at the beginning of the show that I identified um, more with Meryl Streep, the bad boss, <laughs> the devil, um, than I did with her bedraggled employee and uh, her assistant. And, you know, I, I felt that um, she wants everyone to, you know, even though, yes, she certainly could be seen as, as she was very demanding. She wanted her, all the people who worked for her to be on, uh, tethered to their cell phone, as you said, um, to be on call 24 hours a day, to, uh, be perfect, you know, be as perfectionistic as she was, um, etc. 
But, you know, she wanted, what she wanted was for everyone to be like her, in a sense, for everyone to put the job, the excellence, um, what she was striving for, the art, you know, in this case, fashion is art, um, as the number one priority. And she found it hard to understand why people weren't as sort of caught up with the passion that she was. And I totally can, can understand that. And, um, you know, having had and, and having, <laughs> continuing to have personal assistance, um, one of the things that I write down in my, in my uh, want ad is um, that I want someone who does not take no for an answer. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of times the, um, you want somebody who wants to strive for what you want, but, but you know, people don't have that same kind of motivation or dedication or commitment. Uh, but at the same time, I think that you need to have some openness to having, uh, letting people ask questions or learning. So, I, I mean, she closed that off. You know, yes. She made it very clear early on that if you had questions to clarify, she didn't want to be bothered with it. That's true. And I, I think that that's a mistake. I mean, yes. people, if people can really aspire to what you're doing, but they also need some kind of encouragement, some kind of support. It's also clear that she was she would only criticize. She would never uh, compliment somebody for doing a good job. Yes. And that's an important part of being a good manager is to be able to to do that. So you kind of balance out the sticks and the carrots. Yes, yes. So isn't that the one-minute manager where they say um, that you try to catch somebody doing something good? Yeah, and there are all sorts of books about a thousand and one ways to reward employees and that kind of thing. And that's a very important part of uh, motivation. And they, they have found uh, for, for many employees that that's more important than payment, that being recognized, getting recognition, getting prestige, being uh, acknowledged among your peers. And instead, she's got this uh, very competitive environment where, you know, Emily doesn't want to help really help um, the new employee. Because typically what will happen is a new employee comes in, and if the boss isn't doing it, they'll assign some kind of mentor. Now, she could have maybe have done some things, right? You, you, you didn't really see her interacting with anybody apart from Emily, pretty much, in terms of there are other employees there, but they are very much, you know, part of the wallpaper, with the exception of, of Nigel. And, uh, but, but, you know, we were talking about criticizing employees. Well, you know, if they are more proactive, in looking for help from other people or finding mentors or, or doing other things to learn what to do, that could really help. Now, she, apart from Nigel to sort of taking her under his wing, she didn't really reach out to anybody else in the office. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, maybe they would have put up barriers to her doing that, but it just seemed like, I mean, everybody was sort of this terrorized in this office, and they, they make that, you know, she comes in in the, the very beginning, and, and everybody's kind of getting everything organized for her. Yes, yes. <laughs> where where she just kind of shouts out commands and and um, yes, and it, you're right. It was a very competitive kind of thing where it's almost. Um, and it was interesting because the first assistant, uh, Emily, at first she wanted Andy to the new assistant to be really good because she was afraid her job depended upon it. But then, as Andy kept getting better um, and overshadowing Emily, then of course Emily was worried about her own job mm-hmm. um, and those kinds of things. Of course. Go on, but yes, that, that's a very good point. That there does have to be um, 
there, it can be, it's okay to have high expectations, but there does have to be some uh, ability for the person to ask questions, especially at the beginning, and, and to get some kind of um, be pointed in the right direction, not necessarily having somebody babysit them, but, um, you know, some pointers or some definition of what, of how to do the job. Now, another thing, there are other ways to be proactive. Now, maybe in this context, she couldn't be, but, but, um, you could find other opportunities on other jobs. For example, uh, if certain creative activities are going on, you know, maybe to bring in some, some sketches or some, you know, samples or whatever. I mean, she did find some, this Chris Thompson person is somebody who, who looked at some of her, her work. But, I mean, maybe there might have been ways of introducing what she's really all about uh, to other people in the, in the company. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm just suggesting the people in other jobs you know, might try to look at what, where, where can they contribute and where can they be proactive to, to help with productivity, to point out what they're doing to other people, uh, to bring it up at staff meetings or send memos. You know, just some things to, to stand out so you're not just kind of one of the crowd. Yes. Although, uh, <laughs> to stand out in a good way so that the boss doesn't feel threatened that you're going behind their back. No, and, no, I mean, and... you want to be careful. I mean, you, you don't want to just, Show this stuff to the boss's boss, but you want to, you know, bring it to the attention of the boss that you have. Yes, yes, and and that was kind of, um, I mean, in the end, actually, um, Meryl Streep does sort of prove herself to be, um, even though Andy quits, um, in sort of when she finally realizes that she's given up too much of her ethics and morals Mm -hmm. and and her life. Afterwards, Merrill's, um, the uh, editor, the boss does really come around and show her appreciation for Andy by recommending her to um, to a job that she is better suited for, to a more journalistic kind of real reporting job. Yeah, and it's sort of a, fu- a funny kind of a, almost a passive-aggressive way that she does it by yeah. first saying, you know, uh, you were my biggest disappointment, but you'd be a fool if you don't hire her. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean you, you almost don't know that it's a recommendation. You know, <laughs> and kind of at the end, is this little twist there. Yes, of course. You know, that, that's her um, her Miranda Priestly, Meryl Streep kind of personality coming out. But but um, but I think she was her biggest disappointment because because uh, she said in the car right before uh, Andy quit. You know, when she said, "You're just like me," and uh, and Andy realized she was becoming like her. And and I think Miranda, I think Meryl Streep was really disappointed. I think she did kind of see in her someone who she could groom to eventually take over her job when she was ready to leave. Yeah. So, yes, well, you know, all these intricacies of boss-employee um, relationships, they're as intricate and complicated as... Uh, almost as parent-child relationships because that's essentially what they are. And whatever it is, if you're an employee or you bring to a job your preconceived feelings that you have towards your parents and how authoritarian they were or how well they took care of you or how they sort of abandoned or neglected you and all of that you unconsciously project onto a boss. Yeah, and that may also be what you're looking for in a boss. So if you you feel abandoned by your parent, you may want a boss that's more supportive and more uh, encouraging and, you know, gives you more feedback, whereas somebody else who really wanted to get out of the the house uh, might 
like a boss that gives them more freedom. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you want to yes. take those things into consideration. Yes. I wanted to point out, too, as a com- contrast to this Miranda Priestley, there's another popular show that shows a, a bad boss, which is The Office. And that has this very uh, incompetent kind of boss who is just inane. And, and you know, again, it's sort of the extreme of the boss is so so nutsy and so incompetent that in real life he probably wouldn't last very long. Mm-hmm. But, but, it, but it makes for, for great TV. Yes. You know, um, yeah, I guess maybe it, would be, it is good to sort of look around at some of the models that there are and that's a good. Those are good talking points for you and your friends to um, to uh, kind of compare your own boss to to these people that we see in the media. It's a good get some suggestions, and you can get more suggestions by um, looking at uh, Jenny Graham Scott's websites, which I'll give you if you'd like to read her books. Find out what kind of boss you have, or if you are a boss, uh, look for her coming book on on. Um, uh, Difficult employees from hell, um, but also I just wanted to mention if you're if you're looking to hire someone, if you're a boss, even if it's just a personal assistant or if it's a hundred people, um, one of the good things that you might want to ask them is um, get a feel for their home life. Obviously, there are laws you can't ask too probing questions, but you might want to get a sense of of what kind of uh, relationship they have with their parents and what they're looking for in you. They'll see some quizzes on these two websites about uh, how bad is your boss on the badbosses.net website along with some chapters. And then on the Working With Humans website, uh, workingwithhumans.com, there's a a, a quiz about how how, um, compatible you are in in your own workplace. Okay, let me give out those uh, websites again, badbosses.net and workingwithhumans.com. And I'd like to thank my guest, Jenny Graham Scott. Best of uh, luck with these books, obviously very timely. And I'd like to thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.